overstated look of Christmas decorating. Uh, some go for the overstated uh, decorating. Some go for the gaudy. Uh, I, I've noticed there are some, and the only way I know to describe it is uh, the what were you thinking? <laughs> you know who you are. Right? Uh, actually, you don't know who you are, and that's, this is the core of the problem, because you don't know that that's you, and none of us are brave enough to tell you that it's you. We're just hoping in January you clean things up and things look better. Like, I, and look, I love decorating. I, 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 you know me. I, I love everything about Christmas and lights and, and decorations and trees. And uh, I love the whole, the whole package, but, but what, what, I've, what I've found is we can sometimes use that as a way to cover up the reality that's happening in, in our lives. Um, mentioning varying degrees of, of decorating, there's even debates. We've talked about some of the debates before, the, the debates of colored versus white lights, right? Big bulbs versus LEDs. It's those debates, the, the discussion of whether the, the ancient spiritual meaning of Christmas can truly be captured in an inflatable snowman, whether that's possible. Perhaps the one that has uh, confounded theologians and historians and archaeologists through the years should Santa be kneeling at the manger? We, we may never know the answer to that question. Like all of this swirling around, and again, you know me, I love it. I, I, I love even your decorations that I don't like, and I'm not going to tell you which one of you that is, but even the decorations I don't like, I appreciate the effort, I appreciate the heart, I appreciate the celebration of it all, but, but, I, but I also know that in that decorating sometimes is an attempt to cover up what's really happening in my life, to, to overshadow uh, reality. And, and maybe that's not all bad. Certainly a part of Christmas is, is a reminder that there's more happening than what's right in front of me. What, what's happening in my life is not the only story. There is a big, beautiful, ongoing story that, that started before, uh, in eternity before creation. It's going to end in eternity in the future. And it's this wonderful story. And, and I want to tap into it. But I, I think sometimes we just try to cover up what is, what is true and what is real and... and, and if Christmas was anything at the beginning, it, it was an admission of what is real. It, it wasn't an escape from reality at all. You read the Christmas story, and it's filled with reality. Now, Mary and Joseph had to walk 80 miles on foot at the most inopportune moment ever, right? Never given birth personally. I uh, know some people who have, but I'm fairly certain nine months pregnant is not the best time to walk 80 miles. Fair, fair, fairly sure about that. Um, they get to Bethlehem. There's no room in the inn. Uh, they give birth to their first child in a stable. Now, it would have been great if there had been lights and wreaths and they would have covered some of that up. The Bible doesn't cover any of that up. The Bible says this is what it looked like. This is what it was like. This is what it smelled like. For, for all of the fantasy and, and the rapping, love it all, but for all of that, Christmas is about reality. And let's be honest, reality's not always pretty. Right? 
reality is not always great. It's kind of like adulting. Right? Adulting is just not that great. We spend most of our childhood wanting to grow up. And, and then almost all of our teenage years, we want to be a grown-up. We want to be an adult. And then we become adult, and, and we wonder what we were thinking. Like, like I had this really good gig. I lived in a home and didn't pay the mortgage at one time. And I wanted to get out of that. Right? Adulting is not that great all the time. That's the way reality is. Right? Reality is hard sometimes. Reality is what the first Christmas was about, though. Christmas, I think, tends to surface a lot of that reality in our lives. I think it's one of the reasons that incidents of depression and discouragement tend to go up at Christmas. You know, the Christmas blues, the holiday blues, it's a real thing. Uh, many of us struggle emotionally through this season, and at least one of the reasons, I think, is that Christmas just tends to highlight what life really is, contrasted with this picture of what we're being told it's supposed to be like right now. Christmas just services the real nature of our life. We're calling this series, The Weary World Rejoices. And yes, uh, some of the weariness that we experience is out there. It's, it's what we see in the world and experience in the world when we turn on the news, when we scroll through Twitter, and we look at Facebook and stories and wars and conflicts and complex, complex issues that are happening in our world. That's some of the weariness that we feel. But if we're honest, some of the weariness is coming from inside of us, our own frustrations and discouragements our own fears, our own insecurities, our own disappointments that our life isn't the way maybe we pictured it at one time or this thing isn't going the way that I wanted. Much of the weariness of Christmas is that weariness from inside when I compare what I thought would be to what is. It's great having small town poets with us uh, today. Uh, I love these guys. And I mentioned to some of you, I went to high school with several of them. Uh, Danny, who plays the keyboard, um, Danny's dad was the minister of music where my dad was the pastor. And so our teenage years, our high school years, uh, we went to the same church in the same youth group, sang in the same youth choir, we were in an ensemble together. Danny's brother, uh, Rich, is here. He was, a, he was a part of all of that running around too. Just, just had a great friendship, great time together. Byron, who plays the drums, uh, we went to high school together. Michael, who, who's the lead singer, we were all in high school together. They were a year behind me. Byron was two or three years Behind me, obviously, they were way cooler and way more talented than I was, even then. Um, you, you ever have those moments, though, when you're going to see somebody that you knew a long time ago? Maybe you're going to a high school reunion, and, and most of your brain is really excited, and like you're really pumped, and you get to see all these people catch up and what their life has been like and, and who they've become and, and, and reconnect. But then there's this little part of your brain that's thinking, man, I, I really hope they don't remember when I fill in the blank. I, I, I really hope nobody brings up that time that I. I hope nobody remembers when I said that thing in front of everybody that time. And we all have that sort of stuff. We, we all have those little places that we hope nobody brings up and nobody sees and, and, and nobody asks about it. And, and I don't have to confront. We have places that we just want to cover up. But here's the thing about the Christmas story. The Christmas story 
is about God redeeming all the things of my life, not just the things I want to remember. And not just the things that I want to admit. And not just the things that I want to see. Christmas is about a Savior who came able to redeem everything about your life and everything about my life and to bring grace and forgiveness and peace and love into every area of our lives, not just the highlight reel. Christmas is not, is not about me formulating my top 10 biggest hits and giving them to God. These were my greatest plays, top ESPN top 10 greatest plays. God, here it is. I want you to see that. I don't want you to see the not so great reel because I got that one too. And I don't want you to see that one. I just want to give you the top 10. Is it too soon for football analogies, UGA people? Uh, Christmas is about a God who says, it's just, just give me all of the real. Just give me all of you. Just give me all of your heart. I already know about all of the. I already know about your reality, so you don't have to cover it up with lights this year. You, you, you don't have to wrap it. You don't have to decorate it and pretend it's not there. You can just bring it. We're using some well-known Christmas carols. It's kind of jumping off places in this series. One of the things that I like about music is. Music tends to, to surface reality in our hearts. And I know sometimes we talk about music being emotional or tapping into our emotions, and it does that. But I think the reason it taps into our emotions is because it taps into our reality. It makes us confront things that we don't confront otherwise. When we hear that song, when we hear that line from that one song, and maybe it's a worship song, maybe it's some other song, and that memory comes up, Music has a way of surfacing reality. You, you can kind of snooze through the message like some of you are going to do this morning. You kind of put it on autopilot and keep this, keep me talking at a distance. But there's something about a song that bypasses my editing capabilities of the, of the hurt in my life and kind of opens it up. Maybe that's why... The angels came to the shepherds with a song. Maybe that's why the angels said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing our message to you so that it really gets into your heart. There's a bunch of songs about angels, right? A bunch of Christmas carols about angels. Here's the one I'm going with today. Angels we have heard on high, sweetly singing o'er the plains and the mountains in reply. Echoing their joyous strains. Another verse. Shepherds, why this jubilee? Why your joyous strains prolong? What the gladsome tidings be which inspire your heavenly song? And then you already know the chorus, right? It's the Gloria in excelsis, Deo, the oh, 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 that, the whole, oh, 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 that, that part. And we do over and, and it's Latin for glory to God and the highest. It comes right out of Luke chapter 2. The story of the shepherds. Glory to God in the highest. This is from Luke chapter 2. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. 
You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared and the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When when you read the Christmas story in Matthew, they present a different group of guys, a group of guys called the wise men. And the wise men were noble and regal. They were probably wealthy. They were respected. They had titles. They had robes and crowns probably. Do you you draw names in your family? Like any part of your, my extended family draws names uh, every Christmas and, and, and divides up the Christmas gifts and the Christmas shopping. I remember as a kid um, when the adults were drawing names that they had to actually write it on a piece of paper. You remember this? They had to actually write it on a piece of paper and they would fold up the piece of paper and put it into a bowl and they would take it around, physically take it around and have to draw a name out of the bowl like barbarians. Like, <laughs> This is like the Middle Ages. We have a website now. Anybody use the website, drawnames.com? We have a website now, and so we put all the names in the website, and uh, the website does it for you, and it emails everybody what the wish list is and who the names are. Like, we're technologically advanced in the Sermons family. I don't know where you guys are, but like, we're way, we're living in 2030 right now. If you, if you had to do drawnames.com with the original Christmas cast, you would want the wise man to get your name, right? You would want one of those jokers to draw your name. You definitely wouldn't want the shepherds, right? Because here's the, here's the wise men, regal and well-known and, 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 and wealthy and well-respected. And all the way at the other extreme is the shepherds. And it's not that they were all bad people, really. It, it, it's just that their, their work was pretty common. Um, as a matter of fact, by the beginning of the New Testament, their work was so easy, so non-intellectual, like you didn't need a degree to be a shepherd. It was so easy, so kind of um, anybody could do it. That The youngest child usually got that job or a servant got that job. If you remember in the Old Testament, the story of David, right? Samuel shows up and the youngest child is the one who's out in the field with the sheep. So it, just, it wasn't that well-respected. Um, some, not, not all... But some shepherds, people were suspicious of. There were enough of them that caused suspicion that kind of as a group, everybody looked on them with a little bit of suspicion. Uh, Some of the shepherds, again, not all, some of the shepherds were known as they grazed their sheep around different places to take things that didn't belong to them. They just kind of scooped it up and went along with their herd. Or to graze their sheep in, in land they didn't own or they shouldn't have been on. So kind of as a class, as a group of people, the shepherds became those people. If they, if they were close by, you sort of kept an eye on them. Unlike... The wise men, they they were just them. They were those people, people you need to watch out for. But here's the thing about the shepherds, about all of us, really. God knew all about the shepherds' reality, their reputation, and he invites them in anyway. Like he invites them to the story. If you read the rest of the life of Jesus, you find Jesus doing this all the time. You find Jesus identifying the people who are left out and saying, you get to come in. You get to be a part of this story. Then There's a part for you in this big story that's happening. You get to be a part. 
regardless of your baggage, regardless of your reputation, regardless of that thing you're trying to hide. So when Jesus was doing this as an adult in his ministry, that was, that was women and, and that was children that Jesus was honoring. That was disabled people, handicapped people, people with diseases, tax collectors, prostitutes. Jesus is saying to those people, you get, you get to have a part. Your past does not keep you out of this story, Jesus was saying. And he would say the same thing to us. Like whatever that thing is that you hope nobody brings up this Christmas. Whatever mistake that is that you hope you don't have to explain one more time. Jesus says, I know about that, but you get to play a part in this story too. Like the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Acts is really one continuous story. And if you read them back to back, what you find is the good news, the gospel that starts in Bethlehem in a manger, just starts spreading out more and more. And you get to the book of Acts and it goes to Gentiles and it goes to other countries and other ethnicities and, and other races. Because Jesus was constantly saying, no matter who you are or what your past is or what your reputation is, you can come close to you can be in the story that we're telling. There, there are a number of uh, stories about this particular group of shepherds in Luke chapter 2. Some people think that because of where they were grazing their sheep, they must have been temple shepherds. In other words, they must have been guarding the flock that was going to be used for sacrifices at the temple eventually. The sacrifices that God had commanded in the Old Testament for the sins of the people. Some people think this particular group of shepherds, that was the flock that they were guarding. And the specific time of year of Luke chapter 2 would have been the time when lambs were being born. There was a specific tower in that area where the temple shepherds would take their sheep to give birth to lambs because they wanted to protect them. They didn't want any wild animals to get them. Their job was so important, they wanted to make sure nothing happened to these lambs. So they went to a specific temple. And day after day, if this is true, day after day during this season, they were watching lambs being born that were going to be sacrificed one day. And another lamb would be born, and they would protect it. And that lamb one day was going to be sacrificed for sin. And then another one, and another one, and day after day. Now, even though this was their role, the shepherds would have never been allowed to go to the temple. Because of their job, because of how unclean it was, how dirty it was, they were never ceremonially clean enough, which is, I know that's an odd term if, if you're not familiar with some Old Testament teaching, but they, they were never appropriate to be able to go to the temple themselves and participate in worship or sacrifices even for their own sins. Day after day, they were watching the birth of lambs that would be sacrificed and they would never get to be a part of that. An angel shows up one day, sings them a song, and God basically says, look, I know you're watching lambs being born every day and you're never getting to participate in sacrifices for your sins. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to invite you to be one of the first ones to see the lamb of the world who would be sacrificed for all of our sins. And you're going to get a front row seat. This is the lamb of the world who will be slain for your sins and the sins of the world and anyone who comes to faith in Christ. And you're going to see him in a barn. 
Now, I think if the angels had said, you can see him at the palace, the shepherds would have hesitated because they'd never been to the palace. They're not used to going to the palace. I think if the, the angel had said to the shepherds, you, you can see him at the temple, they definitely would have hesitated because they had never been allowed in the temple. But the angel said, you can see him in a barn. And the shepherds must have thought, we know barns. Now, we lived our whole life in barns. We know what barns look like. We've been around animals in barns. We got hay all over us. We smell like barns. We smell like all the stuff that ends up in barns. Barns are us. Like, that's us. Yeah, I know that. When God sent the Savior of the world to shepherds who were somewhat outcasts, He said, I'm going to send Him to a place you're familiar with. That's how much I want you to come. I think one of the beautiful messages of the Christmas story is that the Savior has not just come to the world, but He's come to your world. He hasn't just theoretically or theologically come for the world. He's come for your world, whatever it smells like today. Whatever's in your barn today. Whatever's in your background and your past whatever you're proud of and whatever you're trying to hide. The Savior didn't just come to the world. The Savior came to your world and He's saying, you can come close because He's come close. You can draw near because He's drawn near to you. And as a way of invitation, the angels sang glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Not peace to those who have it all together or peace to those whose Christmas is going really, really well. Peace to anybody that draws close. Peace to anybody that rejoices in the glory of God in the highest. What a great line. Glory to God in the highest. And I... I I don't want to disagree with the angels. Um, We get to heaven. I'd love to have some angel friends. That'd be cool. If angels watch over us, I need all I can get. I don't want to tick any of them off. But as I I was reading this story, and I thought about that line in particular, it's a a beautiful line. The church has used this line uh, for 2,000 years. If If you grew up in a more liturgical church, you sang this line almost every Sunday. It's called the Gloria. Gloria in excelsis day. Just a couple seasons of the year, you don't sing that. But the rest of the year, liturgical churches sing this line over and over. It's a a great line. Glory to God in the highest. But when I read the story again, I thought, you know, the great message of Christmas is not just that God's glory is in the highest, but that God's glory came to the lowest. I mean, it's, it's, it's beautiful that... That God's glory is right now and for all of eternity, past and future. There's glory going on in the highest. But what a story. The the radiant beauty, love, grace, peace of God didn't stay in the highest, but it came down to the lowest. It met shepherds and brokenhearted people and tax collectors and prostitutes and liars and thieves and said, hey, You can come close too. 
You can meet Jesus to the sovereign plan of God sent his glory to earth. The ten little fingers, the ten little toes, wrapped in cloth, crying in the night. The glory that was in the highest has come to the lowest. One of my favorite descriptions of Jesus is at the beginning of the book of Hebrews. It's, this is how it starts. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. The sun that we celebrate at Christmas, the sun is the radiance of God's glory. Christmas is the celebration of the moment when the glory of God in the highest radiated down to a little barn in Bethlehem and Jesus was born who walked to this earth inviting people into his story, who walked to this earth saying you can belong and you can belong and you can be loved and you can be forgiven and you can find grace and you can find peace. Peace. Those who rejoice, the angel said, those who rejoice, they can find peace. Not, not just those who have it all together. Anyone who comes to this Jesus can find peace. Luke describes what happened is an angel announcement and then a host of angels show up to say glory to God in the highest peace on earth. The word host most often is used to describe an army, like an invading, attacking army. But this time, the first Christmas, Luke says an army showed up not to announce war, an army showed up to announce peace. An army showed up to say to the whole world, God's glory has radiated to earth and now you can know peace between you and God. Peace between you and others. You can have peace settle into your heart. And the shepherds said, let's go. Let's go. Here's, here's the way Luke writes. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. Let's go. Let's don't wait. Let's don't debate. Let's, not, let's don't ask what do you think. What do you think? And should we wait till tomorrow? What about I'm, I'm good next week. I got a couple of hours next Thursday. Let's go. And, and I don't know what your world's like this Christmas. I don't, I don't know what your barn's like. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know what it smells like. I don't know what's piled up in there. The angel of the Lord announces to all of us, the glory of God has come. He invites you in. Let's go. Don't, don't wait. Don't go through this Christmas season with Jesus forever at a distance. With Jesus as a, a nice idea, some good principles. Come to him as the Savior that he came to be. Not just the Savior of the world, the Savior of your world. Not just the King of the world, the King of your world. Because that's who he's come to be. To say whatever's in the background of your life in your Christmas, you don't have to hide it with him. You don't have to hope he doesn't bring it up. He already knows, just... Just bring it to him and, and come close to him. Glory to God in the highest and the lowest.
And everywhere in between and on earth, peace toward men on whom his favor rests. In a weary world, that's something to rejoice about. Let's pray. God, thank you that the, the glory of God is not just in the highest but it's come down to the lowest. The story of Christmas stands ready to invade any life, any person who will draw near to Jesus. God, thank you that this isn't a a theoretical exercise, just a nice story. That Jesus is not just the Savior of the world. He's, he, he's my Savior. And I, and I pray this morning, He's the Savior of everyone who's come. And if not, that this would be the day that they would turn to Him with their top 10 greatest hits and their lowest 10 biggest failures, knowing that His grace is big enough, His love and mercy and peace is enough for whatever's in their life. We thank you for your goodness at Christmas. We thank you that even when the army came, they came announcing peace. And ultimately, you came in a baby. Not to threaten us. Not to demean us. To love us. May we walk in that love this Christmas. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.